the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Well, good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from my office in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. If you're at all familiar with San Jose, you'll know where Cambrian Park is. <clears throat> kind of in the middle of everything in, in the city. And uh, pretty easy to get to from almost anywhere in San Jose. Last Friday, I talked about, I spent the entire show talking about Proposition 19, the new proposition that is uh, was just passed by the voters. I think passed by the voters and they didn't really realize, the ones who voted in favor of it, didn't really realize the nature, true nature and extent of the proposition and the very, very bad things that are involved in the proposition. I'm not going to repeat those today. If you'd like to find out um, kind of a general overview of Prop 19, I suggest that you listen to my podcast for uh, last week. Uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast later, it's the December 4th, 2020 podcast. Um, pretty sure that's correct. December 4th, 2020. <laughs> Let me sure, make sure I've got the right date today. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, all this COVID uh, going on for months and months like this, I, I find that I start losing track of what day of the week it is and what the date is. Uh, yes, just double checking on my phone here. I can see that, yes, it was uh, December 4th, 2020. So you listen to that. That's going to be part one of my discussion of Proposition 19 that was passed by the voters uh, back in early November in the general election. Uh, I was hoping to have enough information gathered together for today to do part two of my of my shows on Proposition 19, which is what are some of the potential solutions to the problems that have been created by Proposition 19. I'm sorry to say I only have a couple of items right now, and there are many, many more questions that have to be answered about the proposition. We are still waiting on the State of California Board of of equalization, which is the agency that kind of regulates uh, taxation, excise taxes, sales taxes, and then also real property taxes, which is what's impacted by Proposition 19. We're waiting for their new handbook that to, for them to distribute to the county assessors in each county that actually 
do the assessments for the property taxes, when they come out with their new handbook, um, attorneys such as I will be able to read through that handbook and see what their interpretations are of just what Proposition 19 means and how the counties should implement Proposition 19 going forward. Now, I say should implement because the Board of Equalization does not dictate to the counties how they are to interpret things like Proposition 19. Instead, they give their interpretation and their recommendations on how the counties should interpret the new law. But the assessors of various counties are not bound by those interpretations, and they uh, can and in many cases, I guarantee, will have different interpretations. So we'll actually, we actually have a new law that could very well be interpreted differently depending on where you happen to live when the law takes effect and the actions taken by you in reference to your residence and to uh, rental properties you may have or commercial properties that you use to operate your business and you own the property as well. All of those things, the impact of Prop 19 could actually be impacted by what county you happen to have those properties located in. And it shouldn't be that way. I'll tell you right now, it should not be that way. If there's a state law, it should be interpreted and enforced exactly the same everywhere in the state. But I can tell you right now, when it comes to the real property tax laws, there are different interpretations by different county assessors as to what uh, what actions mean, uh, whether they're subject to reassessment or not. Uh, one county may say, no, we follow the Board of Equalization suggestions, and then the county right next door might say, we reject the Board of Equalization interpretation. We think it means this, and this is how we're going to interpret it for property transactions in our county. <clears throat> I mean, like Los Angeles is kind of famous for that, of having their own interpretations of, uh, of various property tax laws uh, and regulations. So, um, so what it does mean is that even any advice that I may be giving when I do the second part of my Proposition 19 shows, and um, that might be next Friday, it might be the Friday after that, Um, I I don't know. I'm listening to various presentations. I'm attending presentations that are uh, Zoom meetings with people presenting what they've come up with. Um, I'm going to be associating with some local attorneys uh, whose expertise I respect to brainstorm and come up with possible solutions for families that can enable them to not lose the benefit of low property taxes, but at the same time, Uh, not lose uh, the benefit of getting increased property values for income tax purposes. It's a big mess. I mean, the best I can say about it is it's a big mess. It's going to lead to a lot more sales of real estate throughout the state uh, after February 16th of 2021, which is the effective date of uh, part of the proposition. The other effective date is April 1st. Um, and I'm not going to explain the distinction right now, but essentially um, this was done by the real estate industry to basically force people to sell properties more. 
to not be able to pass them on successfully to their children, but instead pretty much require their children to sell them uh, so that they don't end up with massive, massive increases in real property taxes when they inherit. So that's all I'm really going to say about Proposition 19 today. I'll say if you wanted to hear my first part of what will likely be a two-part, perhaps even a three-part series on this, on my radio shows going forward over the next month or so. Uh, Listen to my podcast from December 4th, 2020, and that's where I talk about, in general terms, what Proposition 19 is and what the effect is. Um, Part of it has to do with um, transferring or, or selling your own personal residence and moving somewhere else in the state. But I think the more significant part has to do with the effect on transfers of personal residences and rental properties to children, uh, either during life or after death. So for the balance of the show today, I'm going to go back to my usual format, which is to go over questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, I will also take questions on the air today, as long as they're not questions about Proposition 19. I'm not going to answer those questions on the air today. But if you have another estate planning question, please feel free to call me at 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. So I think I may have just about enough time to do one question. And um, the question I'm looking at here, it says, does issue include a surviving spouse in trust terms? Okay, You'll often see in a trust, it says, I leave to my son, John, or his issue um, if John doesn't survive me. Well, uh, issue basically means children, grandchildren, and the, the lineal descendants of someone. That can include uh, children or grandchildren who are adopted, um, or, and can also include stepchildren in some cases. So, when we come back after the break... This is attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk with you after this commercial break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. This is attorney Bob Bergman. I'm going to continue on with my normal um, program approach Uh, As I said in the first segment, I'm not going to be taking calls on Proposition 19. I'm going to reserve any discussion of Proposition 19 uh, for a future show, maybe a week or maybe two weeks from today, where I will have hopefully some proposed solutions that uh, people might be able to use to avoid the nasty aspects of the, uh, the new law that we are now going to be Uh, suffering through starting the middle of February of this upcoming year. If you'd like to call me with any other questions, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Feel free to give uh, a call to me if you have a question. I'm happy to answer it on the air, as long as it is not about Proposition 19. Okay, so moving on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Let's see here. Here we have, um, here, oh boy, this is this one. We can unpack a lot of things with this one. Okay, so here uh, we have a, um, 
Okay, so a grant deed was given from our sister to our brother with our sister retaining a life estate. Um, And this was recorded in 2008. Now, a life estate basically says, I have the right to live in this property for my lifetime. Um, And then when I die... um, the the property that I transferred it to a person, but I retained the right to live there uh, for my life. And then when I die, the person fully owns it. Um, so the life estate here was held by the sister. She's to make the mortgage payments and maintenance. And now um, the brother wants to deed his remainder interest to me and my husband. Okay, so it looks like he wants to give his interest in the property, which means he'll receive the property when the sister dies because she only has the right to uh, to live there for her lifetime. And then when she dies, it, uh, it would be gone. They want to know any risks they faced. Are there implications for sale, probate, Medicaid recovery by the government? She may want to sell the property, um, meaning I guess the sister may want to sell the property. So... <laughs> This is one of those questions that uh, has so many moving parts, you don't even know where to begin. Um, I would say that any kind of transfer right now uh, would probably trigger uh, a reassessment of the property taxes because a transfer between siblings, uh, between a brother and sister or, or back again, that will trigger a reassessment, even if it is a gift. Um, it it still is a, a transfer of record that triggers reassessment of the property taxes. I would think that would be a huge thing right there um, because you're changing the ownership again. If this is transferred, I don't know whether or not a property like this with the remainder interest whether or not that actually is considered um, an asset owned for purposes of Medicaid, which is Medi-Cal here in California. Um, That is the program originally designed to to pay for the long-term care costs for someone who went into a nursing home. Uh, It's been expanded tremendously since the original intent. Um, But Medi-Cal recovery by the government Basically, that happens when the government has paid money out on your behalf to provide for your care in a care facility. And then when you pass away, the government may have a claim against any property that you owned, um, except with uh, some limited exceptions. The major one being if you had a residence owned in a trust, uh, they can't recover against that. But other things that you may have owned, they can recover against. And here, I th- I would say if someone actually had this property interest, they probably wouldn't qualify for Medi-Cal in the first place because the um, you're not allowed to have more than just a personal residence that you can keep from being counted as available to you. If you have more than that and a couple thousand dollars in the bank, essentially, then you would not qualify for Medi-Cal in the first place. So I don't know that there's any particular Medi-Cal implications here. I think the major implication with something like this is they're going to get the property taxes reassessed if they do that. Now, let's see. Okay, let me set this to one side. That's Proposition 19 question. 
lot of people asking questions about Proposition 19 that are coming through into my uh, my email from a a site where people can go and ask questions like this. So I'll set that to one side there. Okay, here is... Um, Okay, my aunt owns less than $150,000 in assets, car and a mobile home only. Will her children need a power of attorney to sell both in California? My aunt just started hospice and is trying to sort out a few loose ends before she becomes incapacitated. If she needs a power of attorney, can it be signed by witnesses instead of a notary? Um... Yes, I think I would say a qualified yes there, but it definitely, in my opinion, it should be notarized. And there are mobile notaries. If you can have witnesses sign it, you can get a notary in there to notarize it for the person. But I think the implication here is by saying there's less than $150,000 in assets, I think the person is referring to transferring the property after the aunt dies. And I will tell you that... um, the children having a power of attorney uh, for their mother, the aunt, um, that's not going to be of any use to them whatsoever uh, once their mother dies. And that's because a power of attorney, unless it's a health care power of attorney, which can have the power extend beyond someone's uh, death in order to do things like handle funeral arrangements, uh, provide information, maybe uh, get medical records and things like that, um, maybe because there's a malpractice claim coming. If it's a financial power of attorney, the authority ends at the death of the person granting the power, which means that if you try to use the power of attorney to transfer things after death, it's not going to work. Now, the 150000 that would be 166250 today, that is the amount of property where you can use what's called a small estate affidavit after someone has died. What what I would suggest in a case like this is have the aunt maybe do a simple will and name her children so that um, so that they are actually put in charge and then they could use the small estate affidavit, not a power of attorney. The power of attorney would only be in effect if if she wanted them to sell her car and mobile home now. Uh, not to handle the property after death. So we're coming up on the second break today in the show, uh, the bottom of the hour. And uh, when I come back afterwards, I will continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And um, that's pretty much it. So we'll talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Yes, hello. Uh, We're back. Uh, I've been told by my engineer that I have a caller over the break. Uh, Andreas from, is it Andrea or Andreas from Palos Verdes? Andrea from Palos Verdes. And Palos Verdes. Now, that's, that's... that's not in the Bay Area, is it? No, that's not in the Bay Area. It's Southern California. Okay. Are, are you uh, were you listening on the on the app today? Yes, I've been I've been listening to uh, KDOW regarding um, your uh, your estate planning and 
and here I am eager to get answers. <laughs> wow. So, well, well, thank you so much for listening from um, 300 miles away. That, uh, that warms my heart. Now, what is your question for me today? The question I have is, let's say that I rent out uh, a place for 20-plus years, and, and after that, uh, instead of giving it to someone, such as a family member, I decide to give it to charity. Can you explain how that really works and, 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 and how it all unfolds as far as what you can and can't do when you give it to charity? Well, I can I can give kind of a, a general overview. Are you talking about? We'll start first. Are you talking about giving it to charity while you're still alive? Um, yeah, like uh, because what I'm thinking is it's very possible that that after 20 years or more, uh, I might not want to continue renting the place. Okay, uh, so, so, so so behind this is you don't want to be a landlord after 20 years? It's possible. It's a consideration okay. I have. Well, I'll tell you, there's there's basically two two things you could do. One is you could just find your favorite charity and and have a deed drawn up, talk to them and say, I want to give you this property and just do a deed gifting it to the charity um, that you'd want to talk with an accountant about what the what the um, the tax benefits would be to you to make that gift to the charity, uh, because uh, when you give money or property to charity, you you can often get a charitable deduction um, on your tax return. Um, and I don't go into the details. I leave it to the accountants to figure out the details of just what kind of tax benefit that would be. But uh, that would be the most direct thing. Find a charity that's willing to take the property and then draw up uh, a deed and just transfer it to the charity. It will be uh, it will not count as a taxable. It shouldn't be a taxable event for you because uh, you're giving the property away. Um, You're not selling it. So you're not making any money. And then the charity can get the property and they can turn around and sell that property and they won't pay. If it's a proper charity, meaning one that's a 501c3 Internal Revenue Code charity, they could sell the property, cash out, and they don't pay tax on that. So it can really be beneficial to them. So that would be the most direct thing. The other thing is, if you've kind of gotten used to getting income from that property and you really would like to continue getting some income, is you could establish a special type of trust called a charitable remainder trust. And what that is is an irrevocable trust where you you would actually transfer the property to the trust and then the trust can turn around as a charity, sell the property, pay no income tax, and then use the monies from the sale to reinvest. The trust would then be paying money out to you either for a certain time period or for lifetime. And how these trusts are structured, that determines, um, There's, I won't get into the guidelines, but, um, but you can set up a trust like this and have money coming back to you, but money that's coming because 
the trust is now investing in stocks and bonds and mutual funds or CDs or things like that, and there's no uh, no more fixing toilets at 3 a.m., which is something my father was always fond of sharing with me whenever he had to do it as a landlord. <laughs> so when so that right there would be a way to convert the equity in the real estate and have it invested in a different way and still have money coming to you um, but not being a landlord anymore. And what happens is it's called a charitable remainder trust because when the term of the trust either runs out, you could have it be you know uh, up to 20 years, or when you pass away, if that's what you decided to structure it as, then whatever value is left in the trust goes to one or more charities that you've designated. So they get the remainder, what's left over, uh, after you've been getting income paid to you for a certain amount of time. Now, that's more complicated than just signing it over. But if you still needed income, but you were tired of the hard work you had to put in to get that income being a landlord, and it's hard work. Uh, Those of you who have never been a landlord, uh, I can tell you from being from a family where my parents and and I have siblings that have had rental properties, it's hard work being a landlord. It really is. And I'm sure, Andrea, you would agree with that. Yes, yes. Yes. So those are the two, kind of the two options. One is to just have a deed drawn up and make a gift and then talk with your accountant about whether you get to write off any of the value of that gift against your other income. Uh, When you make a charitable gift, you can often write off uh, the value of that gift against your current income, which is a way to save on your taxes. Um, With a charitable remainder trust, you're still going to have income coming out, but you won't have the the issue of, of having to handle real estate. It could have been sold and reinvested in other things that are more passive, where you don't have to actively be involved. And you can still be in charge of that, in charge of how it's investing and making sure that the payout comes to you by the terms of the trust. So did that kind of answer that for you? Yes, it did. Thank you very much. And is there a book or anywhere that you recommend where I can read more thoroughly about this, just in case you know? Well, um, I mean, I do have my own um, um, California Consumer Guide to Wills, Trusts, and Estate Planning that I developed a number of years ago. Um, It is available uh, at my website. Uh, You can download it. All you have to do um, is go through and give me a little bit of information. It will take you to a place where you can download it. And I do have a section in there. Uh, on charitable remainder trusts. It's a couple of pages long, gives a summary of kind of how it works. Um, uh, Other than that, even just a general internet search on charitable remainder trust, you're likely to find articles by other attorneys, articles by financial planners, articles by the big brokerage houses, you know, like a a Merrill Lynch or uh, things like that, talking about uh, uh, CRTs. There's different types of CRTs. There's charitable remainder annuity trusts, charitable remainder annuity trusts. There um, annuity, um, rather, uh, charitable remainder uni trusts. 
and then there's there's crits, crats, cruts, and nimcruts. There's all kinds of acronyms for charitable trusts. But uh, I give kind of a brief discussion in my guide. Uh, if you go to lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, I think right there on the first page I have a, a link you can click on to download my guide. That's one of the things I'm going to be working on over the next month is uh, going through my guide because it's, it's a few years old, but I'm realizing that uh, with some of the new laws that have gone into effect and some of the changes, I probably need to do a significant rewrite of my guide for 2021. And um, not looking forward to that because it's hard work, but, um, but I want to make sure I get accurate information out there for people. Great. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for calling and Thank you for being a listener in the Southland. Um, I, I love, I've had people contact me from the East Coast who, who listen to the, the stream uh, on the KDOW app uh, on their phone. Um, and people who listen to the podcasts at kdow.biz, uh, they listen to my contact, um, podcasts and from around the country. Who would have known that, uh, you know, uh, a, a simple lawyer like me in San Jose could actually have people listening to me from hundreds of miles away? It's a pretty amazing uh, time we live in. So um, thank you, uh, Andrea, from Palos Verdes. And again, you can call if you'd like. It's 800-516-1220. Hopefully for some of you out there, um, that answer that I gave uh, struck a chord. Uh, it, uh, it's something that uh, if, if you're tired of being a landlord, that may be one of the options you have is to stop being a landlord but still make sure that you have money coming in um, because I'll tell you a lot of people who own rental real estate, they look at the cash flow versus the value of that rental real estate and realize when you factor in vacancies of tenants and uh, making repairs at three in the morning and things like that, the return on the equity in that rental property might be one or 2% a year. Um, which is a very poor return on an investment, especially one that has all kinds of costs associated with it, uh, like replacing roofs and water heaters and broken plumbing and, and things like that. So for some people, charitable remainder trusts do make sense. And I've only done a few over the years. Um, they're not as popular as they might be because people don't like the idea of giving up their property and transferring it away. But... Um, that could very well be one of the uh, one of the things that uh, we do for Proposition 19, and I'm going to be talking with some colleagues about that to see if that might make sense for some people with rental property. Okay, well we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When we come back, we can finish up the show. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you in a few minutes. Streaming now, Streaming now at kdow.biz and radio.com. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. So um, we're in the final segment of the show today. Um, uh, loved that caller, Andrea, from Palos Verdes. Um, I, I love... The fact that the longer I'm on the air on this show, the more I'm finding out that 
more and more people are listening to the show, and they're listening to the show from other parts of the state and, and even from other parts of the United States. And I imagine I probably have people listening from other countries as well. They're either listening live or they're listening to the podcasts of my shows because every show that's broadcast gets reduced to a podcast at kdow.biz, B-I-Z. Uh, you could go there, look for Plan Your Estate Radio, and then see uh, the shows. Some of them have names uh, with specific topics, but most of them are just shows from various states because they don't have a specific theme for that date. Um, just information like I'm presenting here today, questions and comments from around the state. I think what I'd like to do uh, for this final segment is talk briefly. If if you've just joined the show recently, uh, I'm going to briefly talk about a type of legal work that I do that is um, that is basically in the probate courts. Uh, but it's designed to help out in two different situations that are very common. Uh, the first situation is where somebody has a trust and they die, but they have property of some kind, whether it's real estate or bank accounts, brokerage accounts, things like that, in their individual name when they die, or uh, a life insurance policy where it has no beneficiary named, or the beneficiary that was named has already died. Well, in that case, as long as we have proper documentation, as long as everybody agrees that this is the answer, I can go to court with something called a Hegstat petition, H-E-G-G-S-T-A-D. Uh, you can get more information at Hegstathelp, all one word, dot com. That's a website that I own uh, that talks about these types of court petitions. And a Hegstat petition basically says, uh, Judge, this person had a trust. They died. Here is written evidence of their intention that this property in their individual name was intended to be part of their trust or should be part of their trust. And so, Judge, would you please sign an order declaring that this house, this bank account, this brokerage account, uh, the proceeds of this life insurance, whatever it happens to be, uh, that they're actually part of the trust. And in doing that, we avoid going through the entire probate process, which is very long. And I'll tell you, it's getting longer now because of COVID. Uh, because of COVID, the pandemic, because of budgetary cuts from the state, our court systems here in California have uh, lost court personnel. For example, in Santa Clara County, where I practice, we have had four of five probate court clerks laid off this year because of budgetary cuts. So there's only one clerk left trying to do the work of five. As you can imagine, um, the, the um, backups in the court, probate court, are phenomenal. And uh, I do not fault um, the clerk that's working there. Uh, the clerks work very hard in the court system, and to be... Uh, to be asked now to try and do the work of five when it's just the one of you, well, all you can do is do it as quickly as you can and take things in order. So the Hegstat petition, um, the Hegstat action in court, 
enables us to bypass the whole probate process, um, the, the wait to get a case date assigned, waiting for the first hearing date, waiting another 120 days after that for creditors to file claims. Even if you know there are no creditors at all, you still have to wait. And then in most counties, turning around and filing for another court date to close out the estate. Um, and that could be another two months, three months. In some counties, another five or six months. I'm looking at you, Los Angeles. Um, it's very, very much a problem right now, trying to go through the probate process. You want to avoid that. A Hegstat, if you have the right requirements, a Hegstat petition can avoid probate entirely. So if you're out there and you have someone that's just died and left you in charge of their trust, and you're discovering to your dismay that mom's house is not in her trust because she refinanced a few years ago, never put it back in, or she got that reverse mortgage, and now she's passed away, and the house was never put back into her trust when the reverse mortgage was put on, and now they want to get paid. Well, you can give me a call. Consider giving me a call at 408-247-0444 or visiting hegstathelp.com. You can read about it, and then you can actually schedule a consultation with me online, uh, and uh, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. All right, well, we're coming up on the end of our show today. I hope it's been informative for you. I had a good time today. Um, I hope those of you listening learned something, and maybe you had a good time too. Thank you for being with me here today. I look forward to having you as my audience uh, in the weeks and months to come. I was commenting to my engineer that uh, I'm coming up in March on three years on the air here on KDOW, and it just doesn't seem like it's been that long. But until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State radio host, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.